This episode of the Dr. Tina show that you're listening to is but one in a series of episodes all about Ozempic done right. You'll want to be sure to listen to all of them for the full story. You can find all of the additional related episodes linked in the show notes. Please note that I am no longer taking patients. I am unable to answer individual medical questions or make personal referrals for practitioners in your area. That said, I have created a free Ozempic Done Right mini course just for you that you can access in the show notes or via the link on my website at drtina.com forward slash Ozempic Done Right. Inside, I've answered your most frequently asked questions. And again, it's entirely free. So please go grab the free mini course right now at drtina.com forward slash Ozempic Done Right to be notified of further education on this topic. You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Dr. Tina Show. On this episode, I'm going to be doing the Ozempic Done Right Part 3. This goes obviously together with Parts 1 and Part 2. You guys have given me a ton of feedback. Most of it's been positive. I've gotten a whole lot of uh, anger and vitriol back as well, which is very interesting. It's always interesting to see how brainwashed people are and how they are not open to hearing something that might differ from what the mainstream media or the uh, powers that be are telling them. I have some ideas though. So I admittedly am not big on skincare. I'm nearly 50 and to say that I've slacked on my skin is a total understatement. I've recently noticed some changes, however, that I'm not loving. And so I finally decided to get serious. A few months ago, I reached out to my buddy, Andy, the CEO and founder of Alatura Naturals and asked him to help. (laughs) He sent me the complete skincare line. And if you've not heard of Alatura yet, let me introduce you to the most natural and luxurious lotions and potions to ever grace my face. Alatura is handcrafted natural skincare. Their mission is simple, to provide customers a skincare wellness experience with products made of superior natural ingredients packed with nutrients, minerals, and natural growth factors. Alatura is the line I've been looking for and it checks off all the boxes for me. It's all natural, it's cruelty-free, it's non-toxic, it's non-GMO, and it is organic when possible. My absolute favorites are the clay mask to detoxify and really heal my skin, as well as the night cream to boost collagen and deeply moisturize. The night cream also triples as an eye and lip balm and a little bit goes a long way. Honorable mentions are the pearl cleanser and the absolutely heavenly gold serum. You can literally feel the magic of the gold serum immediately upon application. It's that good. Because I believe everybody should try Alatura, I've partnered with them and listeners of the Dr. Tina show can save 20% off your first order by heading to alatura.com. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com. And be sure to use code Dr. Tina at checkout for the discount. That's Dr. Tina with a Y or simply click the link in the show notes. You're going to love it. I realize that this is not the panacea for everybody. The only reason I'm doing these episodes is because I started looking into GLP-1 agonists for myself, to be quite honest with you. It wasn't about weight or weight loss or diabetes. It was a couple things. One is I have psoriatic arthritis and Sometimes it can be incredibly painful. And in fact, I've seen data showing that 
psoriatic arthritis is actually more painful than rheumatoid arthritis. And I used to have a joke, you know, I, I, my background's in musculoskeletal medicine and particularly the immune components around it and regenerative injection therapies. So I know a lot about these conditions and I used to have a joke that I would, if I were to curse my enemy, I would curse them with rheumatoid arthritis. But I got to say, I think I might curse them with psoriatic arthritis. So I've been looking into it for the autoimmune impacts it has. And then particularly pain, central sensitized pain, pain that starts in the brain. Oh, well, all pain starts in the brain, but there's a phenomenon called central sensitization. I've done podcasts on this in the past. I've talked about it on different episodes and it's this idea of centrally sensitized pain. It's a pretty horrific way to live. And I've been living with it for decades and if there's something that can turn it down, I'm all for it because there's really not much that can turn that down. So anyway, got looking into it for those reasons. And then for the cognition benefits and the fact that it's anti-inflammatory in the brain, that was very intriguing to me. And I wanted to look deeper, so I did, and I was blown away. And then I found a ton more literature and no, it's not all sponsored by Big Pharma. I've been getting a lot of ignorant comments back from people saying, oh, it's sponsored. All the studies are sponsored by Big Pharma. That is not true. And companies have to do longitudinal studies on their products for the most part to get FDA approval once they're approved. And you know that it's questionable how long some of those studies last, because I'll be honest with you, some of those studies did not last long for a lot of other drugs. But there have been some really great studies done on this drug that were sponsored by Big Pharma. And I understand that not everybody's down with Big Pharma. I am not a huge fan myself, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's really an ignorant stance to say, well, I feel like we've been scammed these past few years, so therefore it's all bad, right? Like that's just not a great stance to take. You might need big pharma someday to save your life. And we're grateful that some of these pharmaceuticals exist. So that's my stance. I am not opposed to using pharmaceuticals when necessary. Never have been, never will be. One of the reasons I became a naturopathic physician in the state of Oregon is because I can prescribe and you cannot take patients off of pharmaceuticals unless you can prescribe them. If you don't have a license to prescribe, you can't tell someone to stop taking their drug that they're on, that their other doctor put them on. So for all you health coaches and nutritional therapists listening out there, I hear constantly from people saying, oh, my health coach told me to stop taking my thyroid or whatever it may be, that's illegal. Can't do that. Unless you have a license to prescribe it, you cannot suggest a patient discontinue it. I am all for using pharmaceuticals when necessary. The goal being is we use the lowest dose necessary while we continue to improve the health parameters of the patient so we can either discontinue the medication, cycle the medication, or use the lowest dose necessary. That's how I do medicine. You know, if you don't like it, that's okay. People are screaming at me saying, oh, you've sold out to big pharma. Oh, contrary. You guys just don't know how I practice or how I used to practice. And I have absolutely no problem with using pharmaceuticals when necessary. So for all you purists out there, fine. That's fine if you're unhappy with me, but this is how I've always been and you've been following me all this time. So it is what it is. Um, I also think there's a lot of purists out there that hate on any kind of pharmaceutical because they think they have the solution in a natural form. And I'm sorry, but sometimes we need a drug. And if we have something available to us, like bioidentical hormone replacement or peptides, why not use them? Like, why not feel better, right? So all that to say, and I'm going to get into it here, 
this stuff is being dosed wrong in many cases, and it's being dosed too high and too aggressively and for too long. And while I can't discuss specifics around dosing, I am going to talk to you about my thoughts on that. But let's just stop for a minute and realize there's a lot of times that medications save lives. And damn if I'm not grateful for prednisone and antibiotics when needed, right? We weren't uh, anti-ivermectin. We weren't anti, you know, some of these other remedies that got vilified and folks were cool with using them when necessary. But we are really, uh, it's crazy the vilification I've seen around semaglutide and terzepatide. So the difference, once again, because for some reason it keeps getting missed and I keep getting asked this, and I don't know if people aren't listening to the episodes or they're just not hearing it. Semaglutide and terzepatide are two separate peptides. Semaglutide is a GLP-1 agonist. Terzepatide is a GLP-1 agonist and a GIP-1 agonist. They do different things. They do similar things. Um, the way I understand it is that terzepatide essentially has a fat burning effect, a direct fat burning effect, while semaglutide more specifically is just working on the GLP-1 receptor. We have GLP-1 receptors all over our body. They're in our brain. They're all over our body. We produce GLP-1 naturally in our intestines. As people age, their intestines atrophy. They lose things like intrinsic factor. That's a molecule made by the stomach lining. And as the stomach atrophies, we lose intrinsic factor. Intrinsic factor is necessary for the absorption of B12 from our food. So it is my firm belief that as folks age, they should start getting B12 shots. Don't want to talk about that any further. Please don't hit me with a bazillion questions. That's just one of my things. We also lose the ability to secrete some other things from some of our other cells as our lining atrophies, as our intestinal lining atrophies. If you're talking to a purist who's never dealt with inflammatory bowel disease. I'm talking ulcerative colitis or Crohn's. They have no idea that sometimes we lose the ability to secrete some things because our intestines have been so damaged. If you've had longstanding IBS and severe bacterial overgrowth and parasites and dysbiosis and leaky gut, you may have lost some of the ability to secrete your GLP-1 naturally. There's a lot to unpack around this, and I can't do it all in this episode, but the point is some folks, including we have data to show that diabetics, type 2 diabetics, and those in the obese category definitely have been shown to have GLP-1 deficiencies. So when people go, nobody has an ozempic deficiency, au contraire, actually some people do have a deficiency. So let's be kind and not judge others for the pharmaceuticals they choose to use or not use. I have a theory about this. <laughs> I think it's kind of the crabs in the bucket thing. People don't like watching other people win. So as some folks are getting healthier and enjoying all of the benefits of the GLP-1 agonist they're on, not just the weight loss, but all of the other benefits, their skin improves, their hair improves, their hormones improve, their brain and cognition improves, their depression lifts. Some of these, you know, wonderful side effects that you're hearing about are actually direct actions of GLP-1 agonists on different organ systems in the body. Go back and listen to my last two episodes to hear all about it. People hate on them. Like nobody likes to see somebody winning. It's the truth. Humans are weird that way. If somebody's winning, the crab's in the bucket. If you guys don't know that story, it goes like this. If you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket, you never have to put a lid on the bucket. Why? Because if one crab starts to climb out or attempt to climb out, the other crabs will grab him and pull him down. So I'm seeing a whole lot of that. And granted, there are people out there, and we're going to talk about the different types of patients and, and 
how I would categorize them around this peptide, but there are people out there getting hammered with this stuff at high doses and they're wasting away and they're not doing it right. And they want to blame the drug. They want to blame the doctor. Sure, go ahead. But let's also look at the person. Are they actually hitting their protein macros? Are they lifting weights? Are they doing all the things? I talk about all this at length in the other episodes, so I won't get into it too much. But point being, it's not being done right. That's why this series of podcasts is called Ozempic Done Right, because I believe there's a better way to do this. Let's first talk about the cancer issue. So a lot of people keep throwing that, oh, it causes cancer. That is incorrect. <laughs> that, well, let's say that is speculative at best. I shouldn't say incorrect. The data around cancer is very inconclusive. And they're looking at folks, they're not doing a very good job in this, these studies where they're conclusively deciding it causes thyroid cancer, this type of cancer. We have no proof of cancer except in rats. And they're not looking at these patients' number of years of diabetes, number of years of potentially obesity, inflammation. What I'm getting at is how long have they been a complete metabolic train wreck, right? How long has, have they been? When you get to the point of being di diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, you are a metabolic train wreck. Like it's not subtle anymore. It is that is an emergency in my opinion. That is a decade to a decade and a half of damage being done to your metabolic health. And now you're at a place where you're in bad shape. So they're doing this, these studies on those people. Guess who is prone to thyroid cancer? Diabetics. Guess who is prone to pancreatitis? Diabetics and obese people. So these the people screaming, it causes this. We don't have causation yet. We have correlation at best. Some of these studies that are stating these conclusive findings are not conclusive at all. They're correlative at best. And I've looked through these studies and they're not done well, or they're done, they're large scale looking at medical records and then waiting a series of years of how long people have been on them. And then this many people have can't thyroid cancer and they say, oh, it causes thyroid cancer. That is not how it works. So I will keep you up to date on what I find, I promise. And if it comes out that it definitely causes these problems, then great. But it's so weird because I see people online who are generally really good at sifting through the data and interpreting the data. But when a study comes out showing exactly what they want it to say, even if it's really badly, poorly done data, badly done study, they'll use it and be like, see, what do you think about this? So all of that, like get off my back, people. I promise I will share with you what I find. I am not averse to finding out if it causes cancer, but right now it is such a low, low, low risk, even in the correlative studies, it is such a low, low, low risk. And in those studies, when they did find a correlation, they also were looking at people who how long had they been hypothyroid? Most of these folks had been, or they were on other medications. So they were looking not necessarily at GLP-1 agonists causing it or correlating to it. There were other medications involved. And again, I'm going to talk about it in a minute, the different types of patients. I think when I've been talking about this, I haven't been clear enough. I'm talking apples to oranges. So let's jump into that. There's three types of patients in my book that would benefit from these peptides. The first patient is somebody like myself. They are metabolically sound. 
They work on their metabolic health. They track their metabolic health. They have good muscle mass. They lift weights regularly. They they eat really well. They hit their protein macros. They are all in all very well-rounded in their health, right? They work on it. It is a job. <laughs> it is part of their job, right? They take it very seriously. And then maybe menopause is putting some weight on them or which will here's what we have to understand. When we start packing on fat cells, fat is pro-inflammatory for the most part. So it will drive autoimmune disease. I think it really depends on how the person's fat is programmed. Some people, when they start to put on fat, they their pain skyrockets. I've seen it a multitude of times in my patient base. Their pain will skyrocket out of nowhere. They lose five or 10 pounds, the pain goes down. So we can't be judging here and saying, oh, well, you don't have any weight to lose. Well, if their labs are starting to creep up or if something's starting to shift or menopause is starting to change their body composition, I firmly, firmly believe that we should get in front of that. I feel like if they've got 10 pounds on them that they didn't have two years ago, we should get that 10 pounds off because they're just going to gain another 10 pounds in a couple of years. And this is how menopause works, right? We just start packing it on. And maybe it's 10 pounds in a decade, but the next decade, they're going to get another 10 pounds on them. So I am all for using microdoses of GLP-1 agonists to get that off so that we can keep that slate as clean as possible. This is called longevity medicine. These people are hormonally optimized. These folks are doing all the things, if you will, right? and they just need a little help. This is longevity medicine. This is not emergency hot mess of health medicine. This is longevity medicine. I am all for it, 100%, all right? So then you have your middle group. This this is group two. Group two is gonna be sort of your average middle-aged person who maybe did not have access to all the things that I've been doing since I was in my 30s. I started in with longevity medicine in my early 30s. So I was hormonally optimizing myself in my early 30s. I started lifting weights when I hit 40, but I was always exercising prior to that. Um, I've been eating really well since my early 30s. I've been prioritizing sleep, all of those things. So I knew going into middle age that well, there might be some bumps in the road. It was going to be a whole lot easier than for most of my friends. And that has stood the test of time. It has been a much easier uh, journey for me. Not to say it's been easy because, man, it is a pain in the butt when your hormones start shifting. But that said, they've gotten themselves... Now, these would be my ideal patients. This is who I would see in clinic. So I was very picky when I was in clinical practice. I It was application only. We turned away seven to eight out of 10 people. So only two to three out of 10 got in. I wasn't interested in working with folks who wanted to start strength training or wanted to start on the health journey path. They were already on it. They were already doing all the things and they just needed some tinkering, right? So my husband is a great example of this. He has gotten himself to his, when I met him, he was in his mid forties and he'd done a great job of keeping his weight low. Uh, he had a little bit of blood pressure issues, a little bit of stuff that you know creeps up, but he was just starting to work on hormonal optimization with another doc. He understood that diet and nutrition was majorly important for his 
health and his longevity, for healthy erections. <laughs> like he understood that he had to take good care of himself, but he needed a little tinkering. So when I got to him, you know, we had to, we had to sw switch a few things up, but it wasn't a big overhaul, right? It was just a little tinkering. And so I would say that would be like the average group. And these folks often have some weight to lose. They've got they could improve some things, right? They just, they've done a really great job of getting themselves along the path, but this world is a toxic soup and it's not easy to stay healthy in our current situation. So they need a little tinkering. That's where I come in. This is, this middle group would be absolutely like my ideal patient base. And of course the fully optimized group was too, but not everybody's gonna be fully optimized. And so group three, group three is a hot mess of health. And I say this with love and respect, but some people have really let themselves go and they've ended up down a very, very, very difficult path to come back from. And they are just swimming in a hot mess of, of inflammation and metabolic dysfunction and diabetes. So I would approach all three of these groups entirely differently. Group one would probably just need to microdose a GLP-1 agonist and cycle it, right? easy. It's a tool. It's an adjunctive tool. Group two would probably need to do some preparatory work. Now, these people might be dealing, in all cases, actually, they might be dealing with some bacterial overgrowth in their gut. They might be dealing with some parasites. Something that's not being discussed is fat is super, super toxic. It is like wearing a blanket of toxins on your body because your body will sequester toxins that it can't process through the liver away into the fat. And so if folks are having a really hard time losing fat, I usually assume that there is some toxicity issue. The body does not want to let go of the toxins that are being stored in the adipose tissue because the liver's not ready to handle it. And so a great example would be a hairstylist who suddenly puts on a bunch of weight. Those people are swimming and toxins toxins all day, right? And we don't want to just slam them with something to kill their appetite and make them lose a ton of weight because they will not have the ability to process these toxins. I think that is a huge reason why people are getting very sick on these peptides. Another reason I mentioned in the last episode is their gut might be very, very dysbiotic, meaning they've got a lot of pathogenic overgrowth in there. And we do know from data that GLP-1 agonists shift the microbiome. So there is a pro-insulin resistance, pro-diabetes, type 2 diabetes flora picture. So there's very specific bugs in people's microbiome that make them more prone to insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes and metabolic dysfunction. And GLP-1 agonists shift them away from that, which is amazing. Like this is huge, you guys. It shifts them over to some of the microbiota that are very, very good for us and are good for longevity and are good for fighting disease and are good for keeping our metabolic health in order. So two things, when you suddenly decrease food intake, especially because these GLP-1 agonists are amazing for crushing the hedonic appetite. They, they make your sugar cravings, your alcohol cravings, cigarettes, opioids, cocaine even. I, I looked at through the data. They don't even understand the mechanism completely, but there are GLP-1 agonists in the brain and they mess with your dopamine circuitry in such a way that people's urges for things are just going away. Like people want to stop gambling. It's wild. Alcohol abuse syndrome they're studying it for, it's really, really promising. And so when people stop eating the substrate that feeds the bad bugs, i.e. sugar, refined sugars, et cetera, 
then there's often a die-off reaction that occurs and it can be intense and gnarly. When I put somebody through a fungal treatment or a overgrowth of bacteria or anti-parasitic treatment, the Herxheimer reaction or the die-off reaction can be so severe that they feel like they're dying of the flu for a few days. It can be really gnarly. It might be one day, it might be five days, it might be seven days. And so people are having these reactions and the, the GLP-1 agonist is getting blamed. When in reality, these people, in my opinion, were not prepped right. And so that can happen to any one of these three types of patients. But more notably, it's going to be your you know hot mess of health, group three. That, that group is going to be probably dealing with the most leaky gut, bacterial overgrowth, really, really you know dysbiotic gut flora. So imagine caloric restriction because their appetite is crushed. They stop eating so much. The bugs start dying off because they're not getting fed what they want. And the flora is shifting favorably actually, but that can be a painful process. So I, I actually believe that's a huge reason. I know this because I used to prescribe HCG back in the late 2000s when I first became licensed. HCG was all the rage and everybody kind of had their own protocol. There was some standard protocols. I did not calorically restrict my patients on that. I did not bring them down to 500 calories a day. I actually put them into ketosis and gave them HCG. But that said, there was some preparatory work. We want to make sure all the amunctories are open, meaning their skin is processing, their kidneys are working, their liver's working, their gut is working, they're pooping regularly. They have their thyroid hormone on board. None of these peptides are great if you're not hormonally optimized already. And I understand that some people are just in such a bad state that we got to get some of the weight off of them so they can start moving, so they can start doing all the things. But really having your thyroid working, your adrenals, all of that dialed in first is going to be hugely helpful when these peptides are started because the phasing in period is going to be a lot less painful, hopefully. And then obviously cleaning up the gut, making sure that we do some gut healing protocols. We kill off what we need to. That's, you know, the bad bugs and making sure that they're in a place where their kidneys and liver and all of it's working. (laughs) Then we can ease into the GLP-1 agonist and start on that weight loss journey. But group three is getting hammered with crazy high doses and they're just going up there. I think they're ramping up too fast in many cases. The other problem that nobody's talking about is when you get these brand name versions from the regular pharmacy, the big pharma versions, Wegovi, um, Ozempic, Monjoro. These are pre-filled pens, dispensing pens, right? And so you cannot dial down the dose. You can't start at a lower dose. You have to start at their starting dose. And I think their starting dose in many cases is too high from what I'm hearing from all of my colleagues using this. My, and I'm not going to give specifics again, but sometimes it's less than half of what the starting dose would be from a brand name. So consider this, that everybody's different. Everybody's going to be able to handle a different dose, starting dose, and that everybody's got a different health profile going in. So we don't want to just treat everybody the same, hammer them with GLP-1 agonist peptides until their appetite crushes out, and then keep them on it forever. What you end up doing there, especially with group three, is you're going to create a very, very messed up metabolic profile for these folks. And we've talked about that, right? They lose all the fat, but they lose a ton of muscle too. They end up basically when they start to gain the weight back, when they go off the GLP-1 agonist, they start to gain more fat. Now They now have a ratio of more fat to muscle than they did when they started. And so they're in worse shape, right? They're fatter overall. And that's not good either. 
Do you ever find yourself with that midday energy slump, feeling tension in your head and tightness in your upper back and neck from sitting at your desk too long? Yeah, me too. I used to chalk it up to desk fatigue and I'd often find myself going for a walk to find coffee and often craving something sweet. I was recently gifted some samples of Element by my buddy Rob Wolf. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. In the past, I've only really used electrolytes when I sauna. I decided to give it a try in the afternoon instead of reaching for my regular cup of coffee and holy smokes, it's been a game changer. I've noted significant improvement in my energy levels and brain clarity, along with less tightness in my muscles and my head. I've teamed up with Element and they've been gracious enough to offer my listeners of the Dr. Tina Show a free gift with purchase. The free gift Element sample pack includes one packet of every flavor, This is the perfect offer for anyone who's interested in trying all of their flavors. My personal favorite is the raspberry salt. They offer a no questions asked refund policy on all orders and you don't even have to send the product back. This offer is exclusively available to Dr. Tina Show listeners. So be sure to use the link in the show notes and take advantage of it now. Head to the link drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Tina. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Tina. Have you been looking for an in-home infrared sauna? Look no further. I've done the research for you and I found the one. My sauna of choice is by Sunlighten. They've got 23 years in the business. Their quality is unmatched. They are directly involved with each unit from production, process, start to finish. Their heater quality, it's like surround sound of infrared heat. It feels delicious and not all infrared heat is the same. They've got ultra low EMFs. I know you guys ask about that a lot. It is third-party tested and proven. They've got options for everyone from portable units to walk-in box saunas. You can save up to $600 off your purchase right now when you use the link in the show notes and you mention my name, Dr. Tina. I hope you enjoy your new sauna. It's the best biohacking tool I can think of for walking into winter. So I think that there's a huge missing component to the conversation, which is what functional medicine and naturopathic doctors know how to handle, and that is, and longevity doctors, is you prime the patient before you implement some of these things. I don't allow patients that are a complete disaster of health to go on testosterone therapy, for instance. I would never put estrogen into a body that was completely metabolically busted. I would ease these people. Now that is, I I did not deal with group three patients after a few years. I closed my practice to people who were in, in, you know, the chronically ill, the, not to be heartless. It's just, I was, I was far more into longevity medicine. I was seeing people in their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, who I inherited my mentor's practice. And those folks were super healthy and fit. And they just needed a little tinkering. So that is where I specialized. I didn't, I no longer took really chronically ill cases or I did help a lot of extremely obese people though, along the way, people who weighed 400 pounds, 300 pounds, and I helped them significantly with HCG. So I I don't think, and from what I'm hearing from my colleagues who have done both HCG and now using GLP-1 agonists in practice, I don't think it's much different. We're still priming the patient correctly before we introduce some of these therapeutic tools. So I just wanted to explain that. I I can't really get into it too much further because, you know, we're getting into 
medical advice here if we if I start giving you details, but you get my drift. There's one type of patient like myself who probably could microdose without any problems at all and it would be awesome and it would help to reset their hormonal profile. It would get their brain working better. It would help improve their autoimmune condition. It would be a nice adjunctive tool. Group two, those people might have 40, 50 pounds to lose at most, at most. And they're, you know, moving and shaking. They're active. They are maybe they need some hormonal input and and getting them cleaned up on their gut, their among trees, you know, getting things moving. That group is going to respond really well too. We would obviously start them low and dose them up as tolerated, not on a standard schedule as tolerated. That means working with the individual intimately, checking in with them regularly. You're not going to get this from your regular primary care physician, you guys. You're not going to get this from the insurance-based model. You might, you might be lucky, but anybody worth their weight when it comes to this type of bioidentical hormone expertise and peptide expertise is not going to take insurance and they're going to probably charge a bit. So you, you're, you get, you're going to get what you pay for. I mean, why they, they, this stuff isn't covered by insurance. So you're not going to find people in the insurance model and in the primary care model. And if you do end up in the primary care model, just go slow and low, right? And then work with somebody, maybe a health coach, nutritional therapist to get all the other things dialed in and finding somebody. I, I do think it's very important to find someone to work with your hormones, but I know not everyone could do that. I know that's not available everywhere. I'll say this as of last week, end of September, early October, the FDA has come in and removed nearly all of the therapeutic peptides from the schedule, meaning we can't prescribe them. Pharmaceutical compounding pharmacists can't even get them into stock. So some pharmaceutical, I'm sorry, some compounding pharmacists have agreed to continue dispensing until their stock is gone. And it's a very sad day. Therapeutic peptides are off the table. They didn't touch the GLP-1 agonists on that one. So all that to say, the problem is the brand names are extremely expensive. You have to qualify, quote unquote, qualify. You have to meet some parameters of obesity or, and or diabetes to get them. And they are pre-filled pens, dispensing pens. And so the starting dose, I think, is too high for a lot of people. So this all might be totally irrelevant information (laughs) in a few weeks. I don't know, but I'm still recording it because I want you guys to have the information. All right. So hopefully you understand the three types of patients I'm talking about. They're all going to be handled and managed completely differently. I think that groups two and three would very much benefit from a nutritional therapist, some kind of health coach, whatever that may be, somebody to hold them accountable and work with them if their doctor is not the one doing it. Doctors, if you're listening, I don't think you should be health coaching. You should hire a health coach. Your time is worth more than that. Be the doctor. Let somebody else do the preparatory work. And that would be a really great harmony of care for that person. And I think they'd get far better results. Hire a strength and conditioning coach or join some kind of group uh, strength program. But make sure you're working out regularly, not just cardio. Make sure you're lifting weights and really honing and honoring your muscle and do it right. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So let's talk about metabolic syndrome. I would love to come out and say it's all diet and exercise and lifestyle and it's your problem if that doesn't work. And I have been so bold to say that type 2 diabetes is indeed a lifestyle-induced chronic illness that is lifestyle choice dependent. 
meaning you choose whether to live in that world. All that said, there is some propensity towards a metabolic busted microbiome. So you can inherit that from your mother. If you're living with people or you're intimate with people who have really busted metabolic health, you can, their microbiome is contagious. We have data to show this. I'm not making it up. I'm not making, I'm not judging anybody. But it's really important that people understand sometimes, even with the best of intentions, even with all the hard work, some people need a leg up. They need a little bit of help. And I think this is a really fantastic peptide for that. I think this gives that little bit of an advantage. And I've gotten hundreds of emails and DMs at this point from people telling in comments in my post telling me, thank you so much for shedding light on this because I was doing everything you said and I just couldn't get the 30 pounds off or the 25 pounds off or even the 10 or 15 pounds off. And the insulin resistance was creeping up on my labs. I was monitoring it. I was working with a functional medicine doctor and I just couldn't quite get it dialed in with lifestyle alone. And this has helped these these peptides have helped me so much. They've, you know, they had been on them and were afraid to tell their friends and family and just really remarkable results for them. So this is to all the purists out there. Sometimes people need a little bit of help. And if we can get somebody there a little bit faster, then so be it. Because the argument of, well, I mean, I've had some really angry people come at me and say, this is for people who are morbidly obese, or this is for people who are type two diabetic. How dare you promote it? You're a terrible doctor. And I'm like, you know, that's weird because in most cases, and not all, I'm not judging, but in most cases of extreme obesity and or type two diabetes, people got themselves there through a process, right? I'm not saying that they were all gluttonous, but they got themselves there. It didn't just happen overnight. And in many cases, they got themselves there with some poor lifestyle choices. You can be mad at me all you want, but every time I've worked intimately with somebody as a patient to help reverse the problems, they've all finally admitted like, yeah, I have disordered eating. And that's that's people's pathology showing. It's some people gamble, some people have sex addiction, some people it's it's I get it. I understand it. And there this is coming from the brain as well. So I I'm saying this in defense of these folks. There is a different neurochemistry and a different mechanism happening in brains of people who overeat or people who are tend towards obesity and or type 2 diabetes. And I don't know what the chicken and egg is, but I do know that there is neurochemistry to explain this. And so whatever it is, folks get themselves there. It doesn't happen overnight. And these folks saying, well, it should only be reserved for that group and not the people who are just starting on that path. Well, what happens when that switch flips in the brain and maybe it's menopause, maybe it's a huge stressor, maybe it's COVID, who knows? Like, you know, they got through a viral infection and things haven't been the same since, or they went through a divorce and things haven't been the same since, or they're stressed out of their freaking mind. I can't tell you how many people I know in the freedom fighting community who have put on weight because the stress is enormous when you're trying to push back against a mob of angry people who are all brainwashed into believing something, right? So why are we not giving it to them early? Why would we deny the person who's on, who's just stepping onto the path of metabolic dysfunction and the journey down inward into di- type 2 diabetes? Why would we not help them early? That makes no sense to me. That's like saying, well, we know that 
those with comorbidities like obesity and type 2 diabetes definitely have poor outcomes with COVID. We knew that from the beginning. I know not everybody wanted to hear it and people got very angry, but we now all these years later, we clearly understand that that was the group, that that was truly the main group that was most susceptible to poor outcomes, right? That would be like saying, well, we're only going to give ivermectin to those people. Like we also know we have data showing ivermectin worked. So that's not censorable anymore. It's it's proven. Good Good studies showing ivermectin definitely worked and it was withheld. So that's like saying somebody comes in like myself with a bad case of COVID and the doctor's like, oh, well, you're not big enough yet and you're not diabetic enough yet. So we're not going to give you ivermectin. That's exactly the same thing to me. Or your blood pressure isn't quite high enough yet to get the blood pressure medication. I, I it, it doesn't make any sense to me, that argument. So let's just put that away, if we will. So we know that those who are struggling with obesity and type 2 diabetes have a microbiome that is more prone in that direction, and that is inheritable. But also something that nobody's talking about in the data is that mothers who are metabolically busted really are setting their children up. It's almost indisputable. The, The studies are really heartbreaking. If a mom is obese and dealing with type 2 diabetes or busted metabolic health, their, her offspring are going to epigenetically be significantly more prone to that, almost to the point where their chances of having a normal weight and not heading down that pathway are just very slim. So, and I'm not saying this to guilt anybody, because I know there's probably a lot of women hearing this right now going, oh my gosh, I was not in great shape when I had my kid. And I understand I was not in great health when I had my daughter, and I do believe it has impacted her. Uh, negatively. So I carry that guilt as well. I was eating Pop-Tarts and smoking and drinking too much when I got pregnant. Like not a good, not a good thing. I was not prepared at all. What can we do? Well, I was just blown away at what I've been hearing from people that not only are they having improvements in their metabolic health, but their children are as well. And some of these kids really are programmed for that challenge for life, like that obesity, diabetes, type 2 diabetes challenge for life is epigenetically in them because of how they were, you know, their the health of their mother when they were born. And these kids are also using these peptides and having reversal of that. And I just, people want to say, oh, kids shouldn't be on this. And is it for life? And I can't imagine dooming a kid to a life of that path when there's something that could help them. Like that breaks my heart that people are so adamant that children not take this. I'm not trying to say, give it to every kid, let them eat garbage and don't do anything else. Like I'm not for any of that, but it just really, like it makes me want to cry to think about how hard of a path that's going to be and how many health challenges that child's going to be met with, not to mention societal problems that come along with it. And it's just like, it's it's not fair to withhold because we as a society think that children shouldn't be taking this because we are dogmatic, you know? Like, again, let's be kind. People are messaging me constantly telling me that they can't tell anyone they're on it because they're getting so much hate from their friends and family and they're afraid. I cannot tell you how many people said, I was afraid to tell you. I was afraid to tell anyone. For all the influencers out there listening to this, 
your audience thinks you guys are hardcore purists and they're not thrilled with it. The way to be successful is to actually have people be relatable to you. So I say this with all sincerity and kindness, but like this whole purist mentality is not serving everybody so well because I'm hearing about it. And I'm sure people talk shit about me too, so that's fine. But I'm hearing from people like, I, I know there's a whole group of people that are mad at me for even talking about this peptide favorably, but there's a whole bunch of people messaging me saying, you know, I, I really lost a lot of respect for some of these people that I followed on Instagram and online because they're just so hardcore about this. And clearly they're not looking at the data you're looking at and so I'm not saying that to throw anyone under the bus, but like, we don't know everyone's back health history. My job as a physician, a naturopathic physician, I should say, we, we really dive into the past health history. It's very important. And that can be a lengthy intake sometimes because how people got to where they are when they're sitting in my office is really where the information, the most interesting information is. And that's the best place I'm going to be able to help them. So again, if people have had a history of maybe they were born to an obese, metabolically busted mother, um, maybe they come from a long line of type 2 diabetics in their family. Perhaps they have struggled with inflammatory bowel disease. So their gut is not making all of the right peptides that they should be. Um, maybe they were hit with, uh, shoot, I was sprayed with malathione for a year in the early 80s in Northern California when they were trying to kill off the fruit flies. It significantly messed up my health. Maybe they have had a lot of adverse childhood events right? And their digestion is not working and their metabolism isn't working. There's a lot of things that can be going on. Maybe they have endured horrific trauma. Maybe they have endured horrific abuse, right? As adults even, or whatever. On Their, their journey matters. Their story matters. And so sometimes we want to use all the tools, and we want to be kind about that. And we want to be understanding about that instead of saying these are horrific drugs and they're poison. And some of the nonsense I've been hearing is just ridiculous. And some of the people that have come at me about it, it's just like, shut up. Okay, I got it. I don't care. Like they're very much against it. And they send me everything. And they're like, thoughts, thoughts. I'll just tell you this. When somebody sends a post that's opposing and says thoughts, that is the most passive aggressive bullshit I have ever heard come on, be more original, especially when a doctor sends it to me. I'm like, what are your thoughts, buddy? Did you read the study? Because I did, and it was a garbage study. So all that to say is we need to be a little bit more compassionate here. And I know I can be hardcore, but I am a, I'm a whipcracker. I want you to get off your ass. I want you to get moving. I want you to work out. I want you to work as hard as you can. But sometimes that's counterproductive. Sometimes we work so hard. I know for myself, the more metabolically active I am, meaning when my workouts get too metabolic, I start gaining weight right? And if I didn't know better, I wouldn't know better. And I would continue to gain weight because that cortisol is too much for my body. Other people can't handle intermittent fasting. It just blows out their adrenals. So to all the regular folks listening, don't take all your medical advice from online influencers. Go work with somebody who can help you as an individual because your individuality matters. And that's why I don't, and I can't give these blanket, I know Instagram wants the blanket statements, but I can't give them because it doesn't exist in this world. There are shades of gray and nuances and it really is very different for each person, genetically, epigenetically, back history, you name it, right? Some of us are where we're at and we're fried out. I know I'm one of them. I have, without the help of some of the things that I've had access to, I would not be in the health you see me in today. And even that, I feel a bit fried out at times. It's just some of us 
had a rougher road getting to where we are. And then, and I've had a lot of health challenges, a lot of health, serious health challenges. And like, I've almost, shoot, I've been feeling like I was crawling out of bed dying more times than I can count. And then there's other people like my husband who enjoy exceptional vitality. He's had some horrific injuries, you know, worksite injuries, et cetera, but farm injuries, but his vitality is through the roof. So he and I have a very different way of recovering. We have a different way. I mean, for instance, he got hit much harder with COVID than I did, much harder. But his recovery was like that. And my recovery was much more lengthy because I've been slammed by too many viruses over the years. And I am prone to pneumonia and I have lower vitality and I have adrenal glands that are little piles of ash sitting on top of my kidneys, right? So all that to say is sometimes we need to look past what the whole puritanical social media message is. And for the doctors and the healthcare practitioners listening, if you're an online influencer, just chill out a little bit on these folks, right? Because we don't have the whole picture. And for any of you who are just putting all your eggs in one basket and you think certain online influencers are just the cat's meow and everything they say. I mean, I know there's people out there because they message me. They're like, well, you said this and Dr. So-and-so said this and I just don't know what to think. And I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you use your brain and think for yourself, right? Make some decisions for yourself. Research, look past maybe hire somebody to help you navigate it, right? This is this whole world. I, I realize I make my money off of it, but man, this whole world of like online medicine is just, it's not conducive to longevity. And it, the answer is not in your favorite influencer always. It doesn't matter if it works for 99% of people, you might be the 1% that needs a different route. So I'm just asking you to keep an open mind consider these peptides for a variety of reasons. And hopefully this episode has given you a little bit more understanding of how it works in different groups of different types of patients. The last thing I'll leave you with is the question of, do I have to be on this forever? I'm not going to tell you how to cycle it. and I'm not going to tell you how to dose it, but the answer might be yes. Some people might need this for life and I am on thyroid hormone for life and I'm okay with it. Some people need a little blood pressure medication for life, and that's okay. So I don't know why we're so opposed to this one for life when people gladly sign up for polypharmacy for life. I mean, most Americans over 50 are on five different pharmaceuticals, and they plan on being on them for life. But for some reason, this one is suddenly different. And I'm telling you, it's very exciting, the research that's coming out about this drug. It is far more than an appetite suppressant and a weight loss drug. It is phenomenal in the multitude of mechanisms. Go back and listen to parts one and two. We'll make them available in the show notes. The interest in this peptide is increasing and the research on it is amazing. I actually think it will be at some point probably authorized and FDA approved for addiction, at whatever that addiction is. And when that time comes, it'll be much easier to get through your insurance. So Hang tight, keep yourself, keep your mind open, keep yourself educated. Intentional ignorance is not the way to go. Ignorance at all is not the way to go. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I hope this information was helpful to you. I probably will do a couple mini episodes on a few subjects. I wanna talk about musculoskeletal health. I wanna talk about immune system and autoimmune disease when it comes to these peptides. But again, by the time we get there, I think they might not be available from compounding pharmacists. Quick note, what is a compounding pharmacist? A lot of folks don't, I didn't realize a lot of folks don't know what that is. Compounding pharmacists are like the most punk rock 
group in the world. They are doctors who stepped outside of big pharma and are, they may dispense some big pharma drugs, but they also compound drugs like old school in the back room under sanitary conditions and sometimes sterile conditions. They are mixing and making individualized medicine for the patient. I've used compounding pharmacies my entire career and just really a phenomenal way. You can't get everything that way, but you can get a lot of things that way. And it's a phenomenal way to do individualized, personalized medicine and I think the FDA is coming for them and that's, and they're coming for the peptides, uh, the, the GLP-1 agonist. They already took the other peptides, as I said. So, all right. If you guys have questions for the show, email us podcast at drtina.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to my channel. It makes a huge difference. Go back and listen to the other parts of this series. Um, Send them to your friends. Send them to anybody who's giving you shit because I'm tired of the ignorance around this. I'm tired of the fear. I'm tired of the venom and vitriol. I had no idea when I started talking about this what was going to come at me. But man, there are some people out there who refuse to look past what their television is telling them. Don't be one of them. And I love you guys. Thanks so much for all of your support. And I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. If you're looking to take back your health, it's time for you to listen to the Real Foodology podcast. From the producer of The Dr. Tina Show comes one of Apple Podcast's top 10 nutrition shows hosted by integrative nutritionist and real food activist Courtney Swan. The Real Foodology podcast is on a mission to change the way we eat. Courtney interviews doctors, food experts, health professionals, and nutrition pioneers to bring you the best info so you can thrive. Somewhere along the way, we lost sight of how impactful our food choices are. But it's never too late to start on the path of better health choices. You'd be so surprised how resilient our bodies are when we start taking care of them. Yes, it's overwhelming, but that's why Courtney's here to help. She breaks it down for you and makes the information more accessible so that you can make more informed decisions in the grocery aisle or restaurant. Listen to the Real Foodology podcast today on your favorite podcast app.